Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, as Jeff has already prayed for us, we pray that you help me to teach what is true from your word and you help us to learn from it, to be encouraged and to encourage each other with it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most people in our culture, they, they don't want to think about death. It's a reality we try hard to ignore. We hide death away in hospitals and morgues. Many people have never seen a dead body. Death is not something you mention in polite conversation. Have you ever tried raising the topic of death in a conversation? It's not long before people pull out the word morbid, is it? I think people find talking about death too, perhaps too confronting, something like that. Although I do remember talking to my dad about it a while ago. I went to visit him after he'd had an operation. As part of the operation, he'd had a general anaesthetic. And he said to me, Jeff, that's what death's going to be like. He said, when I was under that general anaesthetic, I had no conscious existence. And that's what it'll be like when I die. I just won't be anymore. Uh, at the time, I didn't know what to say. I'm one of those people who thinks of the right answer around about three or four days later. Um, but, but if I had the opportunity again, I would ask my dad this question. How do you know? How do you know death will be like a general anaesthetic? On what authority can you say that that is true? There are lots of theories about what happens when you die. If you ask a, a Buddhist or a Hindu, they'll tell you you'll get reincarnated. Uh, until finally, if you're a Buddhist at least, you reach nothingness, nirvana. Uh, if you ask a Muslim, they will tell you that paradise lies ahead for the good Muslim who follows the five pillars of Islam. Uh, if you ask an atheist, they'll tell you death is the end, will cease to exist. There are lots of ideas out there about what happens when you die, lots of theories, lots of philosophies. can all be very confusing, can't it? But, but I mean, who, who really knows? How can anyone know? And even that in itself is scary, don't you reckon? I mean, from what we can see, you are dead for a long time. If we seriously do not know what lies ahead, that is a worry, isn't it? No wonder we try not to think about it. No wonder we find it confronting. It is scary. I remember a few years ago, a number of years ago, I visited a lady in hospital. Her name was Margaret. The day before my visit, Margaret had uh, been diagnosed with inoperable cancer, just given a few weeks to live, and then later that same day, she suffered a terrible stroke. As I sat with her in hospital, one side of her body was paralysed and she couldn't, couldn't speak. I just sat there and held her hand. Uh, after a while, she motioned for me to get a board that was uh, on the end of her bed, with, which had the letters of the alphabet on it. And she pointed out letters, uh, she pointed out the letters of one word for me. The word was this, frightened. I said, you're frightened, Margaret. She nodded. Frightened of dying. She nodded again. What would you have said? What could I say? Can we really know anything about death? Can we really know what comes beyond death? Is there any hope? Is there anything to quell our fear? Is there anything to say? Well, 
Well, in these last couple of chapters of his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul has been addressing different issues and questions that the church had. And now here in chapter 4, verse 13, he comes to the issue of Christians who die. Christians who die. And he uses a, a, a euphemism, a nice way of saying it. He talks about falling asleep to refer to death. He says falling asleep, he means death. Now, it seems from what Paul says that the Thessalonians were worried about Christians who died. Worried that somehow they might be disadvantaged when Jesus comes back. We don't know exactly why they were worried. Maybe they were expecting Jesus to come back straight away and they couldn't understand how people were dying before that happened. Uh, Maybe they thought people dying meant that they were guilty of sin or out of favour with God. Exactly what the worry was, we don't know. But from what Paul says, we do know two things. First, they were ignorant about what happens when you die. They didn't know. And second, they were worried. They were worried about Christians who die. Paul wants to comfort them, to encourage them. And so what he does, he tells them what will happen to Christians who die so that they won't be ignorant and so that they won't grieve like people who don't have any hope beyond death. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Have a look with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Uh, Back in the first century, it was much the same as today. There were lots of different ideas floating around about what happens when you die. Uh, But as archaeologists have looked at old tombstones, they've been struck by just how hopeless many people of the day were. People, uh, they couldn't avoid the topic back then like they do now. Life was much shorter. Death was all around. Uh, And as they looked at it, many people saw no hope. Uh, So, for example, a common thing that uh, archaeologists are finding on tombstones in the first century, and there are examples of this in both the Greek language and in Latin, is this. This is a common thing for someone to put on their tombstone. I was not. I was. I am not. I care not. The ancient writer Theocritus expressed it well. He wrote, hopes are for the living, the dead are without hope. Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to grieve like that. He doesn't want them to grieve like people with no hope. And so he tells them what happens when Christians die. And more than that, he tells them how he knows that what he says is true. First thing he says about death is this. He says there is a man who died and rose again. Jesus actually died. He he was nailed to a cross and he died. Not just a near-death experience, Jesus was buried and for two nights and a day his dead body lay in a tomb. But then on the third day the tomb was empty. His body was gone. Jesus appeared to his disciples. He had come back to life again. Jesus died. Jesus rose again from the dead. And this same Jesus made promises to his people. He promised He promised that those who rely on him as king and saviour, that that he would raise them from the dead. He, he, He promised that nothing, not even death, could separate them from him. And so, says Paul, because we know that Jesus died and rose again, we also know that God will bring with Jesus those who die trusting in him. Now, it's not exactly clear in this next verse where God will bring those who die trusting in Jesus. Uh, Maybe it's talking about when Christians die, in which case God means, uh, Paul means God will bring them with, with Jesus into heaven to be, to be with Jesus. 
Or maybe this is looking forward to the time when Jesus returns, in which case you're standing on earth and, and, and the picture is that God will bring with Jesus those believers who've died back to earth when Jesus comes. Could be to heaven, could be to earth, but either way, we know from both these uh, other places in the Bible that both these things are true. Um, it's not exactly clear which one Paul means here, but either way, that is our great hope. Those who die relying on Jesus will be with him, brought with him. Verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and this same Jesus, he talked about what will happen in the future. Paul says that we have the Lord's own word on this. Where exactly Paul got it from, we're not sure. It's not in the Gospels, it's not in our recorded words of Jesus. Maybe he heard it directly from the disciples, something like that. But Paul is clear, it's interesting, isn't it? There are lots of other things that Jesus said that we don't know about. This is one of them anyway. But Paul's clear about it. Uh, Jesus himself said what will happen at the end of this world and he described it. He described the end of the world as a great victory parade. Uh, Back in those days when a a general or a king had, had won a war, he would come back to his city in a victory parade. He'd ride in in his chariot with his victorious soldiers and and with his prisoners in chains behind him. And as he came into the city, the people would come out, they would line the road, and as the parade went past, they'd join in the parade. And and they'd march into town together with their victorious king to welcome their hero home. I've never seen a military parade apart from the ones I was in in school, but I've never seen a a victory parade. Um, But I do remember uh, back in the early 1990s when I was working in the city, um, the Australian cricket team had won the World Cup and there was a ticker tape parade for them. Uh, So Steve Waugh and his men came down George Street in convertible cars, sort of sitting up on top of these convertible cars and thousands of people lined the streets, throwing ticker tape, welcoming home the conquering heroes. Well, that's the image Jesus gives of the end of history. He he said he'll come back to earth in a great victory parade. And the thing Paul wants the Thessalonians to realise is this. In that great victory parade, it won't matter if you've died or not. Christians who are still alive when Jesus returns will not be advantaged. Christians who have died when Jesus returns will not be disadvantaged. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died won't be disadvantaged in any way. In fact, Paul says, they will be the first to join the parade. When Jesus comes back, they will be raised to life, They will be united with Jesus as he triumphantly returns to earth. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus will return. Christians who've died will be raised to life and join him. And then those Christians who are still alive will also join in the parade. And they'll be united to Jesus and united to the Christians who've died, and in this image, we all march into town together with our conquering king. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
Living Christians, dead Christians, risen and alive with Jesus when he returns. And then that is the beginning of eternity. Never again will we be separated from our Lord. The end of verse 17. And so, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Can you picture it? What a day it will be. Joining in the great victory parade with Jesus and then being with him forever. That's a brilliant hope, don't you think? Death will not be the end. Death will not be nothingness. And death won't be the start of anything bad. Not if you're in Christ. If you are relying on Jesus, whether you live or die, you look forward to being with him in his victory and glory forever. That is your hope. And so Paul tells the Thessalonians what to do. He says, encourage each other. Comfort each other as you grieve those who've died in Christ. Strengthen each other as you get old and sick together and head towards death yourselves. Don't be ignorant. Don't grieve without hope. Jesus has conquered death. This same Jesus has told us our future. So he says, encourage each other. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now this, I reckon, is is a beautiful thing about true theology. It can be a real comfort. Um, I, I... I really like this Peanuts cartoon. I think it expresses it really well. See, you've got uh, Linus and Lucy, and it's pouring, pouring rain. And Lucy's looking out the window, and she goes, boy, look at it rain. What, what if it floods the whole world? Linus says, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised that Noah would never, that God, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. You've taken a great load off my mind. Sound theology has a way of doing that. Isn't that beautiful? Sound theology has a way of doing that, taking a great load off your mind. Can you see what's here in this passage? Does it take a great load off your mind? Paul is comforting the, the, the Thessalonians with some sound theology, informing them what happens when Christians died. Jesus died and rose again, and here's what's going to happen. God will bring with Jesus those who've died in him, and on the last day... Jesus will return in victory and all his people, whether dead or alive, will join with him in the great victory parade and will be with our Lord forever. Okay. Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Uh, You can see from your outline I've got three points to make. What do we know? How do we know it? And what should we do? What do we know? How do we know it? What should we do? Let's look at each point in turn. First point, what do we know? What information do we have here that relates to us? Just before we answer the question, it's worth reflecting for a moment on what we don't know from this passage. Uh, Here in this passage, there is nothing about non-Christians who die. Uh, this, This hope that Paul talks about, it is only for you if you are relying on Jesus. There is no hope for you here if Jesus is not your saviour and your king. Uh, Friend, if that is you, please, please come and talk to me. We are going to be dead for a long time. The only hope in death 
is the one who rose again, Jesus. You've got to put your faith in him. Uh, Similarly, if you're thinking about a non-Christian family member or friend who died, this passage has nothing to say. We can trust that God will be just and holy and loving. No one will be able to criticise God on Judgment Day. On that day, we, his people, will joyfully concur in his judgment. But sadly, the hope that this passage offers is not for our non-Christian friends or family members. I say all the more reason to pray for them, don't you? All the more reason to be brave about telling them about Jesus, wouldn't you say that? This passage gives us no hope for non-Christians. But for Christians... What can you say? But wow, wow. What do we know? God will bring you and me with Jesus. You and I will be raised from the dead. You and I will join the victory parade and we will be together with each other and with Jesus forever. That is what we know. Second point, how do we know it? How do we know that this is true? Uh, I was talking to a lady a couple of years ago and I was trying to tell her that Jesus offers us eternal life but she said to me, she said, I don't know what comes after death and I don't understand how you think you can know. I mean, no one's been there and come back again to tell us, have they? But that's the whole point, isn't it? And for once, on one of the few occasions when the answer did come to me on the spot, (laughs) there is someone. Jesus. He died and rose again. He's been there and come back again. And we have the Lord's own word to us on this. Lots of people have got lots of ideas about what happens after death. And it's just ideas. It's just speculation. Because they haven't been there. But Jesus is different. Jesus has been there and he's come back again and that is why Jesus is unique. And that is why Jesus is uniquely qualified to tell us what comes beyond death. That's why Paul has such confidence and that's why you and I can have confidence as well. It's not just a question of what we know, it's a question of how we know it. We know the truth about death because of the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so, final point, what should we do? What should we do? Well, of course, to start with, we should learn from this teaching. Uh, Paul wrote this so you don't have to be ignorant in the face of death. So, inform yourself. Uh, Learn the truth of this passage. Savour it. Uh, Take it into your mind. Take it into your heart. And then, in the light of this teaching, don't grieve like someone who has no hope. We should have hope in the face of death. When a Christian dies... We can grieve in the sure hope that that person is with Jesus and that we will be reunited. As we face our own impending death, again, we can do so with hope. Notice Paul isn't saying we shouldn't grieve death. Of course we should grieve. Of course we should. Death is a terrible blight on our world. Death is a terrible blight on our on our race. It is the judgment of God on our sin. It separates us from each other here on earth. Death is something we should grieve. But in the midst of grief, there is hope. Martin Luther wrote at the time when he buried his beloved daughter, 
He, he was so distressed, it was almost unbearable, and yet at the same time he had hope. And he wrote this. He wrote, How strange it is to be so sorrowful and yet to know that all is at peace, that all is well. Grief but yet hope. This week uh, somebody told me the story behind the James Taylor song about fire and rain. I don't know if you know the story, but his wife was killed in in an aeroplane accident. Uh, Suddenly, it's a song I know very well, but I'd never understood it before. I'd always hoped that I'd see you again. You contrast that with uh, the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Same story. This man's wife had been killed in a, in a boating accident. It is well with my soul, even in the face of death. Incredible contrast. Don't be ignorant in the face of death. Don't be hopeless in the face of death. And then finally, don't be silent. Don't be silent in the face of death. I reckon we Christians should just blow the taboo apart. It should not be a taboo subject for us as Christians' death. Paul says to encourage each other with these words, so let's do it. Let's talk death. Let's let's be as morbid as we can. Let's let's, let's comfort each other in the loss of our Christian loved ones. Let's encourage each other as we get sick and as we die. And let's not just talk to each other about it. Let's talk to anyone we can. Ask people what they think about death. Ask them how they know. And if they give you the opportunity... Tell them about the Jesus who conquered death. Be prepared to give the reason for your hope. Don't be silent. A few years ago, uh, Carmen and I went to visit a bloke from my year in Bible college. His name uh, was uh, David Andrew. Dave was in hospital dying from brain cancer. When we saw him, he was within a few days of death. He was very, very sick, but he was amazing. He basically had... Uh, you basically had to get an appointment to see him in hospital. He had a queue of people waiting to see him and each person he spoke to, he would talk to about Jesus. Uh, when we saw him, we talked about his funeral because we were gonna, going on holidays and we knew we wouldn't be able to get there. And he said, oh, my funeral is going to be great. He said, uh, I've got John Chapman, now the late John Chapman, John Chapman to agree to give an evangelistic talk at my funeral. And so what I've done, I've bought 100 copies of one of his books, A Fresh Start, and I'm giving them to every non-Christian who comes and visits me in bed, and I say to them, read the book, and then come to my funeral, because you'll hear the author speak. (laughs) Dave was sad to be leaving his wife and his son and his daughter. He was only a young bloke, only about 50. But Dave knew Jesus. And so he wasn't ignorant, and he wasn't without hope, and he wasn't silent. Friends, we can run away from it and ignore it and pretend it isn't there, but this is not an abstract philosophical idea. This is going to happen to you and to me. We will face the death of loved ones. Unless Jesus comes back soon, we will ourselves soon die, and what God's word says here, it makes all the difference in the universe. Let's face it, this is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? So friends, take God's word here to heart. Don't be ignorant in the face of death. Don't be hopeless. Don't be silent, because in Jesus, we have a glorious hope. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the magnificent hope that is ours. We thank you that we have a King and Saviour who died and rose again. And we thank you for your great promise to bring us with him. We thank you for the victory parade that we look forward to. We thank you that we look forward to being together with each other and with the Lord Jesus Christ forever.
Do please comfort us with this great hope and help us never to shut up about it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.